verse number 15. I want to speak from uh, two passages of Scripture from the early parts of Genesis. Uh, they're kind of known, but yet at the same time somewhat obscure in terms of the narrative that comes out of these two passages of Scripture. One of them is found in the Garden of Eden, and the other is found in the story, the narrative of Noah and his sons after the flood. They're linked together, these two passages are. They're linked together, and they're rather interesting in nature. Uh, so I want to spend a few moments talking about these two and what the connections of these two themes are in the Scripture. One of them is known, Garden of Eden, Scripture is known. One is not as well known, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth. So I want to uh, address that here tonight. And my title tonight is Covering the Exposure, Covering the Exposure. Either you're going to cover something or you're going to expose something. You have, you have the ability, you have the opportunity to do that. In one case, there's a covering. In another case, there's an exposure. And God calls us to examine what our approach is. And these two passages of Scripture help us do that. Genesis chapter 9, verse 15. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. This is the Noahic covenant. And it is mentioned specifically here. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And the sons of Noah that went of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. Praise God. Covering the exposure. Are we going to cover? Are we going to expose? Human nature. Human nature many times is on the exposure, and sometimes it can be on the covering if it's a covering up, but this is not what God is doing in this first part, he's covering or he is protecting or he's allowing his ability and his presence to undo what has been done. And there is a covering in that. Praise God. Lord, we thank you and praise you tonight. We ask that you would direct us to your word. Strengthen us tonight. Let your word be a strength to us and let it have an impact in our lives as to how we respond to others. We ask these things in your name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So the details of this covenant and how it comes to be is found in the narrative called the flood. If you read Genesis, you find things that start out very, very fine and dandy. They start out with God planting a garden, an Eden-like experience, and yet there is a fall, and fallen nature and fallen humanity causes a trajectory downward. You put things in the hands of humanity, and things have a tendency to go to disarray, to dysfunction, to disability, and all kinds of patterns of that fall. You read Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, after chapter 3, it's just but a few short chapters, 
4, 5, and 6 that we are seeing that downward trajectory. We read about things and we can, uh, we're not going to read all that obviously here tonight, but we can fill in the gaps and fill in the data. The ungodly, this is a story of a downward projection. There is the ungodly and there is a culmination of this, culmination of evil. There are there's discussions, some very fantastic stuff, some very uh, sensational things that come out of some of these passages, angels and royalty and the line of Seth and giants and mighty ones that are ones of fallen ones and all of this. It, it parallels and shows a trajectory of downward, a trend that goes downward. Can I just say here at the very beginning that when we do things on our own, typically it's a downward trajectory when it comes to spirituality. I'm standing before you here tonight and I will let you know that on my own I'm a mess and on my own I am a failure. If it had not been for the hand of God and the mercy of God and the faithfulness of God, uh, I know it's a saying, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again. I don't know where I would be, and I don't know where some of you would be, but thanks be to God that God plucked us out of miry clay, and we're in the house of God tonight. Praise God. Feeling his presence and his anointing and his touch. Can anybody identify with that? Amen. If you can, say amen. So there is this downward trend, and it, it comes to the story of a man that found grace in the sight of God. When everybody else is walking away from God, there's one man who finds grace in the eyes of God, and his name is Noah. And so everybody else is in their particular route going their particular direction and they seem to have forgotten God but there is one individual that is holding steadfast in faith he is a faithful one he is one of the heroes of the faith and his name is Noah I'm going to hang on to the blessings of God when everybody else is doing their thing I'm going to hang on to the promises of God Noah finds grace in the eyes of God when the whole world is in darkness there's one individual that's shining a light let the church be that light to a world that is going into its darkness let there be somebody in this city that would be a light to humanity a testimony to someone Noah finds grace in the sight of God and there is a flood Noah is told to prepare an ark he's given the dimensions he's given the architect is God, and Noah is the builder. And so he starts to build all of this, and there are people that come out, and they mock him, and they ridicule him as he preaches. He not only is building, but at the same time, he's preaching. And so I don't know what his schedule must have been like, but he was working, and then at some time when everybody gathered around, he started preaching. He started testifying. What in the world are you doing out here, Noah? I'm building an ark. I don't know, uh, I don't know how the rain is coming because these people said there's, we've never experienced anything like this, a judgment that's coming upon the world, and it's going to be by rain and a flood. Noah, you are out of your mind. And they scoffed at him 
and they mocked him. But Noah was faithful and he trusted in God. Sometimes you feel like the world is coming against you and they're mocking and they're scoffing with everything that they say. But you just hang on to the promises of God. You trust in God and know and understand that throughout all of that, there is a promise and a blessing that comes when I follow the dictates of God. And so that's what I'm going to continue to do. And Noah did that. At the same time, he's testifying and he's working. He's working and he's testifying. And there comes a day in which he and his family enters into that vessel and the doors are shut and there is a judgment that comes upon those at that time in the world. Noah and his family is saved because he listened to the voice of God. It wasn't his own plan. It was God's plan. It wasn't his own idea. It was God's idea. And so he was going to trust in God. And this story is told from the very beginning. And we tell this from early ages in Sunday school. Noah is on that vessel. And it is time for that vessel to come to rest and for them to disembark. Noah becomes, he was a builder, but he becomes a planter. Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 20. Noah began to be an husbandman, meaning he became a planter and he planted a vineyard. In the beginning, God plants in the beginning. And now Noah is planting after the flood. And that's where these two are inextricably linked together. God in the beginning plants. After judgment, Noah comes out of the ark and he becomes an husbandman and he plants. And so they're both planters. And so they're connected and tied together. So what Noah is doing when he's planting, it's connecting back to the passage in the Garden of Eden in which God is planting. And they're connected. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and it became into four heads. God plants. And so you've got a story of this planting in chapter number two. There's several differences in the early chapters of Genesis when you read them. Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 3 gives one creation account. And then from chapter 2 verses 4 through chapter 4 verse 26, there is another creation account. And the reason for that is because one is a creation in which taxonomy is given. In other words, everything is structured and is told. In the second account, it is teleological, which means it's a purpose. And so in one, he's describing the list of everything that he's done. But then in the second one, he's describing what the list and what he's done means, purpose. And so there's two different accounts. So it's like a concentric circle, one circle on the inside of another circle. And there are two accounts of creation. The point here, I guess, is this. 
it was a garden and it was a taxonomy, everything that he did, and it was for a purpose, and it was filled with grandeur of what God planted, God is planting. And this scripture that we just read, it talks about rivers, and it talks about the unity of man and woman. God is putting all of this together. God is creating something that we look back and we, when we describe Eden, we're talking about something that was something of perfection. God is planting. God is doing something. He is the husbandman. And there is a purpose in this. There's a reason in this. And he's designing all of this. And there is a destiny in all of this. God has a purpose in this. Just like God is still planting within us. And he's got a purpose for your life. And he's got a destiny for your life. There's a lot of people without hope. And a lot of people without any confidence in tomorrow. But God's got a a purpose for you and a destiny for you. There is there is a, a frightening statistic of young people that shows that suicide is going up and on the rise because there is no hope and what do you grasp and what do you hang on to because everything that you seem to hang on to is fleeting and it's not real. It's a facade. I'm thankful in the house of God tonight, even in these few moments here tonight in this service, I've been able to reach out and grasp something that is not a facade. It's not something that is fleeting. It's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God. And I felt him in this building tonight. And I hang on to that because it's a hope that he provides to me. Praise God, if you're confused, disoriented, and depressed, I've come to tell you tonight, there's a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. There's a peace that passes understanding with the spirit that he delivers to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Let's agree together for somebody tonight. You may be feeling low. God elevates you. You may be discouraged. God encourages you. Praise God. You may need healing in your body. God can heal you. You need salvation in the house of God. God can save you. You feel like things are completely array and there's no way out. God can redeem you. God creates all of this. But he gives and he provides an opportunity for choice. And he plants the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that garden. And we know the story and how that turns out. Eve is curious. There's nothing wrong with curiosity. But she goes a step far she goes a step farther in that curiosity and 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 moves into action. And when she does and she participates in what is forbidden, it's forbidden. It's not permitted in the garden. It's forbidden. God creates all this other stuff. And and you would think that everything, their attention would be focused on all the things that God provides. And yet her attention and Adam, Adam is, is just as culpable in this, becomes focused on what is 
prohibited. Isn't that like human nature? <laughs> there could be a lot of good things going on. Instead of focusing on all the good things that are going on, we zero in on the, on the few things, the scintilla of stuff that is out there that is not going right. That's human nature. I would encourage you to look on all the good things. Praise God. I, I, I would encourage you to reflect on all the good things instead of getting stuck on the minor things. Sometimes we make minor things into the majority. And that's the hand of the enemy. That's the voice of the accuser. There's a lot of good things I've got to be thankful for that God has provided and he's given and he's blessed. I'm not going to get hung up on something over here that just bothers me and frustrates me. And now becomes, instead of a molehill, it becomes a mountain in my life and I can't see past it. I'm like running into the trees and I can't see the forest. God needs to elevate you with his spirit and lift you up above all of that and look out over the vista of what he has richly done. You won't see the tree. You'll see everything else. Praise God. And so they focus on that. They get so caught up and focused on what is prohibited and not on the design of what the planter God himself has planted. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, when they, they come to terms with this and they recognize that there are consequences to their decisions, praise God. Man, there is a lot, there's some biblical truth and there's some underlying value. We are the church, we stand upon the scripture and we preach and teach that there are some consequences to decisions that you make. And, and that's just the way to do it. The world doesn't want to acknowledge that. As a matter of fact, they don't want there to be any consequences or they want someone else to take care of the consequences. It's time for all of us, whether you're in the church, coming to the church, no matter where you are, to recognize and understand this biblical truth. There's responsibility that you and I must take for our actions. You can't, you can't, you can't look around for somebody else to take care of it. Or you can't point the finger at somebody else and say it's their problem or they're the reason for it. At some point, this is what repentance is, at some point you have to say, you know what, I know there's a lot of things that I've done and that's been done to me, whatever. But God, I'm coming to you and I want you to know that I want to take responsibility for my soul. I'm not looking for somebody else to bail me out. I'm asking you. To touch me. And when this happens and they realize that there are consequences to what we have done, the decision that we have made, there's shame. And there's nothing wrong with shame. They feel it. Shame, shame is, is something that is God intended to help us correct the decision that we made, and the consequences. The devil wants you to take the shame and try to suppress it, bury it, find coping mechanisms to get out of it and check out of it. That's not of God. God wants you to step up with responsibility and say, I feel this and I know that a change needs to be made in my life. And so I'm going to take the steps. They, they felt shame. So they... they the scripture said this is the way it's described in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed prior to this decision that they made in their 
participating in partaking of the tree that God told them that was forbidden. But following, following, it's a whole nother story. So God, he plants this paradise. It's God's design. There is no taint. There's no marring. It is perfection. It was not just physical, but it suggested sinlessness. They were in a state in which they were unaware of those consequences and decisions that they would make in life. The Hebrew word naked in the physical sense means naked, but it also means no barrier. So there were no barriers. There's no barrier between them and God. Man, you know how many barriers we allow to become between us and God? As a matter of fact, you may be in the house of God tonight, and there are barriers even in this very service because on your way here, you got in an argument, you ran out of gas, you had a flat tire, and so you finally got here in the house of God, and it's time to worship, and there's barriers. Adam and Eve in this state in which God planted, there were no barriers. There was a strong connection with God and his ability. And it suggests in this verse 25 that they were at ease with one another. There was no fear. There was no fear of exploitation or potential for evil. They were in a good place. And this was a glowing culmination on what God has planted and how it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be. There shouldn't be any barriers between me and my relationship with God. There shouldn't be any distrust between me and my fellow man and fellow woman. Somebody said amen. And yet a fall creates all of these barriers and all of this distrust. Did you know there's some people in the house of God that, is, that are distrustful of other people when they should be able to trust the very people that they're planted together with? That's the church. Let me just say this real, real quick. If you've been hurt, you need to recognize, settle that up with God and say, God, that hurt, it was painful, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to move on and open myself up so that I can be a godly man and a godly woman that doesn't have obstacles and barriers between me and you and me and others. If, if, if your motto is, I'll never do that again because I don't ever want to be hurt again. You can't seal yourself off. Why? Because the ultimate supreme example of Jesus Christ was one that didn't seal himself off from hurts and difficulties. But he opened himself up when everybody else would say, insanity that is crazy he said I'm willing to go to Calvary I'm willing to go to the cross I'm willing to extend myself out there because I know somebody needs to be saved sometimes in our own personal friendships and relationships and the things that happen to us we develop these obstacles to try to keep people out listen if you want God to come in eventually you're going to have to let God out because God is about saving you solely, but he's also about saving you through the interaction with other people. So it works through me, but at some point I've got to treat my fellow man and fellow woman, brother and sister, the way that he would treat me. 
No, I just want to stay here. I want God to. I want to receive from God, but I don't want anybody else near me because I don't like people. Praise God, somewhere, somehow, God's got to touch you and give you a greater understanding and vision that people are people, but he loves those people. And he died for those people. And he's still reaching for those people. Praise God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, that whole world is shattered. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The consequences of sin. Short-term decisions have long-term consequences. Short-term decisions have long-term consequences. Everybody in this building here knows of somebody either connected to you, your family, or somebody that's made a decision in the moment that they're only living for the moment and not realizing that down the road that decision is going to have tragic consequences. Anybody know what I'm talking about here tonight? Praise God. Every single one of us know, and we pray for those things, and we hope that God somehow reaches out and responds to those situations because it is a heavy thing to wake up and realize I never thought I'd have to deal with this and, and those are the consequences and they're banished from the garden and the ground is cursed Eve must bring forth children in a traumatic fashion the ground is cursed not only are you going to walk around in this paradise but you're going to have to you're going to have to work for it. It's going to be hard labor. It's going to be difficult. And there's an obstacle now between them and God. <clears throat> you follow this thread of purpose as it ends with the discussion of sons and where the godly line of descendants might come. It ends with a discussion about Lamech and Seth. Seth becomes someone that is godly. Lamech brags and boasts about the individuals that he's killed. And so there's a fall and there's consequences and there's just a fog over all of this. The absolute failure of humanity. Sin seems to completely steamroll and have its way with people. And then you get to chapter 6 and you find this interaction between the sons of God and the daughters of men. It becomes so dark becomes a dark picture, becomes the final straw. So in this first passage of Scripture in Genesis, God plants. And what we see is that sin destroys and strips away an innocence and adds a barrier. It strips away an innocence and it adds a barrier. It strips away the paradise that they're in and everything that is connected to it and then it adds a barrier between them and God. You are at ease with God and with each other but now you fear God and you fear each other. And so in the process of this they try to cover with their own actions they try to cover themselves. That never works. 
So they sow some fig leaves together and they, they present themselves before God. Everything that we try to do usually ends in failure. I'm going to try to manipulate this and cover this. And God provides them a better covering. And Adam and Eve experience shame for the first time and their response to it is very, very important. God comes looking for them and there's shame and they've produced this covering. And God steps in and he provides them a better covering. It's a covering of animal skins. And so from that very, very beginning, from the very beginning, there is a theme that is throughout the entire scripture that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You're not going to be able to cover yourselves with the leaves of plants. It's going to take an animal. It means something has to die in order for there to be a covering to pay the consequences of sin. And all through the scripture, leading up to Jesus Christ himself, when John looks upon him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That becomes a theme that runs through the scripture. God comes looking for them. The church must be like God in this case, ladies and gentlemen, walking through the garden. Sin is deceptive. And it's arrogant. But at some point, you will realize the mistake and you will realize before God you can't hide. And when you realize that, there is a God that covers what sin strips away. God covers that. I made a mistake. God's got a covering for that. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to make things right on your own. Recognize that God knows how to cover things. He's got the ability to cover all things. Doesn't matter what the failure is, God covers that. There is blood that covers that. His ultimate sacrifice covers that. It's still effective today. As a matter of fact, if you got things in your life that needs covering, I'm telling you in the house of God tonight, there's a covering for that. There's something that is still effective. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses and that covers. Praise God, the church has got to be a church that's still preaching. There is something that can cover every sin. It doesn't matter what it is. God can cover it. Calvary gave to us the opportunity. His blood that was shed is able to cleanse and wash and renew. It doesn't matter what it is. God is a God that is merciful and he's faithful. And so the operation of the church has to be a church that covers, that covers, that covers, that covers. I'm telling you, when people come in and they are sin sick, we don't need to bury them in their sin. We need to say there's a covering for that. We don't need to ignore them in their sin. We need to say there's a covering for that. Thank God when I came to the house of God, people didn't beat me over the head. They said, there's an opportunity. There's a place that God is able to wash and cleanse. There's a covering. What sin strips away, God covers. Praise God. I want to be that individual that operates in the same manner as God in the garden, the planter. He's planting and he's creating and things mess up and there are failures. 
And, and I'm sure there's some disappointment because when he comes walking in the garden and they're fearful of him, he recognizes now there are some obstacles and yet it is still his purpose and design to cover, not to expose, but to cover. See, many times we want to talk about the failure instead of the redemption. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. I need to stay in myself, but we want to talk about the failure and not the redemption. It's the church's business to recognize the failure, but to provide the redemption. And the priority should be on the redemption, not on the failure. But humanity wants to make the priority the failure and forget, wait a minute, there's redemption here. God says there's a failure, but then he says there's covering for that. And so he works at redemption. We can redeem that. You can pick up the piece and I'll put it back together again. I'll be the potter that takes the clay and, and, and makes the vessel into honor again when it fell into dishonor. I'll do the work because there's a, there's a covering. Covering the exposure, that's the title of it tonight. Humanity many times wants to make the priority on the failure instead of on the covering or the redemption. Help us, O Lamb of God, each and every one of us. We're going to hear stuff in our lifetime. We're going to hear failures and difficulties of other people and circumstances that, that are not the best because we live in a fallen world and fallen humanity. But when we hear those things, I pray that you would put something in our spirit that rises up that says, first of all, what we've got to focus on is the redemption and not the failure. We can't let the failure just, just slide by. We recognize and understand that. But let there be redemption and covering midst of that praise God so to recap here God plants God prepares God covers he is the planter and in this passage that we started with with Noah Noah having found grace in the eyes of God becomes the planter just like God in the beginning God creates in the beginning, and it falls into disrepair. Noah comes out of disrepair and plants. See the connection there? And in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 21, there's this strange passage of Scripture that, that feels like it's out of place, and there's no exclamation, explanation really given it just says that Noah becomes a husbandman he plants a vineyard and then in verse 21 it says of Noah and he drank of the wine and was drunken and he was uncovered within his tent though Noah plants like God he becomes like Eve in this way Eve partakes from what is prohibited Noah overindulges in what is permitted. Eve participates in what is prohibited, and Noah overindulges in what is permitted. And in both cases, they're stripped of their innocence and their consequences. Verse number 22 continues this weird story. 
And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Strange, strange passage of Scripture. So Ham receives a curse, as it will, but the other two are blessed. So it suggests something sinister, something dark. Because there's links, very, very strong links, to the planter, to the covering of God, it's directly connected to the exposure that Ham allows with his father. When his father awakens, he knows what Ham has done. His actions are reprehensible and they're wrong. And he didn't follow suit. What, what is already the established pattern, even in the very early stages of the scripture? The established pattern when there is failure is to what? God does what with the failure of Adam and Eve? He covers it. Ham doesn't follow the pattern. He exposes the failure. And this is very, very important. I want you to hear this very, very clearly. It's not God's nature to shovel dirt. It's not God's nature to expose the failure. It's God's nature to cover the failure. That's, see, that's the devil's business. It's the devil's business to ride your failures. It's the devil's business to point out your failures. It's the devil's business to expose your failures. Ham takes up the devil's business instead of God's business. God's business is to cover. Ham's business is the exposure of the failure. This is why this passage of Scripture, though seemingly strange, tells a very sinister and dark story. Don't align yourself, ladies and gentlemen, with the devil. Align yourself with God. I'm not here to expose stuff. I'm here to cover stuff. I'm not here to talk about stuff. I'm here to redeem stuff. I'm not here to gossip about stuff. I'm here to pray about stuff. This is why Shem and Japheth receive a blessing Noah pronounces a blessing over them. Why? Because they put something up on their shoulders and they walked backward because they were about covering 
the failure and the exposure instead of making it known. Praise God. In conclusion tonight, there's two responses to guilt and disobedience. One brings a blessing and one brings a curse. And here's what's interesting about that weird passage. He doesn't, the reason why I paused there just for a minute is because in that blessing and cursing, it's Canaan that his name is mentioned. And so I was, I was wanting to verify, it's not Ham. Ham receives the judgment, but Canaan also is attached to the servitude. What it suggests is that Ham was already passing along this attitude. Was already passing along the attitude to his son of exposure instead of covering. You better be very, very careful because it can be a generational thing. If you sit around the table and you talk about stuff and you talk negative about stuff and negative about people and it's in front of your children, you could be passing along a generational thing in which not only do you talk about it, but your children end up talking about it and your children's children end up talking about it. This is not a godly thing. This is an ungodly thing. Praise God. We should be about redemption and covering. Praise God. This is much like the Pharisees saying that Abraham is their father. And Jesus said, no, your father is the devil because you manipulate, scheme, and think you are responsible for your own righteousness. And you're not righteous, you're unrighteous. Praise God. It's time to cover things instead of expose them. And that's the connection. That's the link between these two passages of Scripture. Noah becomes a planter. God plants. Adam and Eve partake of what is prohibited. Noah in his planting ends up overindulging in something that is permitted. And in both cases of the story, God covers. But in Noah's case, Ham uncovers. And the business of the church is to be a covering. When I say covering, I'm talking about anointing. Amen. There, there's going to be times in discussions when the discussion turns on what happened to so-and-so and what's, what's the case with so-and-so. And, and, and you're not going to be able to get around some of those discussions because the failure is the failure. But what I'm teaching you tonight is rather than discussing the failure ad nauseum, make the priority the covering or the redemption of the circumstance and situation and not on the exposure because there are damaging, damaging consequences as is revealed in this passage. Ham, you are not only the problem, but Canaan gets roped into your wrongdoing. How about Jesus roping us into the covering and the anointing of God? Praise God. As we stand together in the house of God tonight, let there be a covering the exposure. Savior, we thank you and praise you tonight. Every person in this building, I pray that your anointing and your covering is there. The blood does an effective work. The exposure is the work in the hand of the enemy. It's manipulation and control and degradation and dysfunction. But the blood of Jesus Christ is able to wash and cleanse every sin, no matter how difficult, 
no matter how dark, you're a God that is able to cover it. There's some situations that we're going to face in the next few days in our culture and in our society that's going to take the covering of your ability in your hand. And I pray that in those moments and in those times, Calvary becomes something that is so powerful and is so great. Praise God. The enemy can try his very best to try to uncover things, but when it's under the blood, it's under the blood. You can't take stuff out from underneath what Jesus Christ does. I pray that your anointing and your virtue and your power would cover every person in this building tonight. Why don't you pray with me just for a moment here in the conclusion of this service. Lord, I thank you and praise you. Hallelujah for every situation that may come across the conversation. I pray that the main priority is there's got to be a redemption. There's got to be a prayer. There's got to be an intercession. There's got to be a thrust. There's got to be a focus on revival and the ability of what you were able to do. I love you and worship you and thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody need covered in the house of God tonight, his anointing and his ability? I love you, Lord, and thank you and praise you and worship you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Turn to somebody, smile at them, shake their hand, and tell them it was good to see you in the house of God tonight.